All right. Well, good morning. We are so glad you guys are here with us today. It's a beautiful day. There's a lot going on in our city, but we're glad that you guys took some time to be with us here in person or online. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I am dragging. The last 48 hours of my life have been busy. And so we flew in from Guatemala Friday night around 11 o'clock. And then yesterday I coached two soccer games, one at 9 a.m. after I had not slept all week long. Uh, then I ran a bunch of miles because I got a race coming up. And then last night I went and saw Pearl Jam. And so I am tired. And so, uh, but I, I'm super excited to be here with you guys. And today is sponsored to you by Red Bull. And so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't drink those things, but I did drink one today. Um, I am excited to let you guys know, too. Uh, our trip in Guatemala was awesome, and you're going to hear more about that here in a few weeks, and you'll see a video here in a few weeks that we put together. Uh, but what we're excited about is we've got more kids that we need to sponsor, and so we'll talk about that more. But more importantly, uh, the country is opening up for travel, and so we're taking a trip next summer, and we would love to have some of you guys go with us down to Guatemala. It is becoming one of my favorite places to be. Uh, it's a second home for me, and, and so we're excited for, to show you guys that and for you guys to experience that not only next year, but over the next several years. Also, like Rusty said, Fall Fest is next week. Uh, in case it's not clear, we're doing it over at the park. This is a big festival we put on for our whole uh, community, our city, our county. Uh, we usually have around 3,000 people show up and food trucks and all kinds of vendors. So make sure you take some time and invite everybody you know. Uh, we're excited about that starting next week. Um, not starting next week, but happening next week on Saturday. Weather looks great, 4 to 7 p.m. You're going to want to be there. Bring your family and friends. It's going to be a ton of fun. So we're in the second week of this series talking about mountains. And so last week we talked about this idea that, that all of these scenes we take place, they think I'm a lot smaller than I am here on the band. And so uh, they think, um, so a lot of things that happen in the Bible seem to happen on mountains. And so we're talking about kind of these mountain experiences. And today we're going to kind of take a different angle at that. And to start, I want to read to you something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. And so this is him and he's talking to his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say the son of man is? So he's talking about himself. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, who's an Old Testament prophet, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because of my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You do not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, not upon Peter, but upon the truth of who Jesus says he is and who they believe that he is, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now in that question, in that kind of area, Jesus asked a really important question that at some point all of us have to answer. And it's a simple question, who do you say that I am. And so for people that attend church, for you, for you guys that are here today, that is a question we all have to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Not who does your grandparents say that Jesus was. Not who does your parents say that Jesus was. Not who did the preacher you heard growing up say that Jesus was. And not even who do I say that Jesus is. Who do you say that he is? He says, if you can answer that upon this idea, upon this truth of who Jesus says he is and who we believe him to be, that he will build this rock. He will build this thing that stands up against all of the powers of darkness and evil in this world. 
And the question is, well, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus can do that? Do you believe that Jesus is capable of that? And again, the, the, the main part of that is, do you believe this? Do you believe that no matter the power of darkness, no matter the power of human greed, the hate and violence that we have produced in this world, do you believe that Jesus can stand against those things? And no matter how dark it gets, no matter how much it tries to overtake and overconquer what Jesus is doing and can do, do you believe that? This promise and this truth that he gives, that 2,000 years later, it still stands that hope that we have, the church. Now, that doesn't mean that along the journey, it hasn't always been easy. That doesn't mean that there won't be hardships along the way for you and for me and for the people that have said this truth for 2,000 years. That doesn't mean there won't be setbacks. That doesn't mean there won't be pain and tears along the way. But do you believe that this still holds up? Do you believe the idea that sometimes the things worth pursuing the most can often also be some of the most difficult things? So this week, I want to introduce you to a story that we've covered before. I think it's a fascinating story. And it's a fascinating story into our understanding of God and also kind of the way as human beings that we approach faith. And it's a story that takes place a long time ago, and it's on the heels of the story that we covered last week when we talked about Moses. And it takes place in Numbers chapter 13. Um, in Numbers, if you've ever tried to read the Bible, like people do those like read through the Bible plans, and you get into Numbers and Leviticus, and you're like, I'm not doing this anymore, okay? But in Numbers chapter 13, if you make it that far, there's this fascinating story. And what happens is, is that at this point in the story, they're on the verge of entering the promised land. So the story we talked about last week, this promise of God rescuing his people, but not only rescuing them, but promising them a better future. And it's the idea that God is pulling us into a better future if we're open to it. And so they're on the verge of entering into this promised land. They've already been rescued. And here's what happens. In number 13, starting in verse 25. It'll be up on the screen so you can look on your phone or your Bible if you have one. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. So what's happened is Moses has sent these men into the promised land to see what it's like. Because there's already people there, but this is the land that God has promised them. So to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel and Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, they reported the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. And so this is the report of the land that they give back to Moses. We entered the land you set us to explore and is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Now imagine this. They've been wandering in the desert and in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they, they, they've been having this kind of like survival mode. And so now to hear this idea of milk and honey and fruit available to eat and all of these things, you don't have to kind of scavenge anymore. Like it's just there. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And so here's what happens. Yeah, the land is awesome. The problem is that, that we, we, we can't do this. Like, there's giants there. It's fortified. Like, we've been people wandering in the desert for this period of time. We have sticks and we have rocks. Like, what are we going to do against these people? And so this is the land that's been promised. This is the promise that's been given to them by God. And they're on the verge of taking it. But on the verge of taking it, there's this fear. There's this, in some ways, a mountain in front of them that they're not sure that they can scale. But Caleb, verse 30, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. 
Let's go at once to the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Because he believes. He believes in the promise of God. He, he believes in who God says that he is. But the other men, verse 31, who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone that goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Isn't it interesting in the world that we live in, the same as in their world, that it only takes a few negative people it only takes a few people saying we can't. It only takes a few people saying, no, this isn't something we can do. And, and did you notice that the, the negativity spreads? Because that's what it does, right? It, it's this idea of, no, we, we can't do this. And, and, and so the negativity spreads amongst the people. There's this great saying, if you don't believe you can do something, you will prove it 100% of the time, Right? If you go into it going, well, we can't do this, we can't accomplish this, we can't achieve this, we can't overcome this, this is a mountain, this one's too big. But you have to remember, this is something that God has promised them. And you got to remember, too, that, that so far into the story, the journey has been difficult. It's not been easy. It's not like they've just been kind of cruising around and now here's this obstacle. No, they've had obstacles the entire way. They've had setbacks. They've had heartache. And yet now here they are on the verge of the breakthrough that they've been hoping for, and fear starts to set in. The belief that they can't do this, the belief that this is, no, this is the obstacle we cannot overcome. Have you ever felt like that before, like that there's, there's, there's something right in front of you, and you just have this like moment where you're like, I, I just don't think I can do this. I don't think we can do this. This, this seems too big. I've sat in my office over the years with many people, and as they tell me the stories of their life, they tell me the stories of their marriage, the stories of their family, the stories of the setbacks, the stories of the diagnosis, the stories of all of these things, and sometimes it just feels like it's too much. It's too big. So the question is, if you ever face something, then in the moment feels impossible. And so the message spreads and, and, and the challenge ahead of them and the negativity continues to spread amongst the people. And so in the next chapter, Numbers 14, it says this, then the whole community, so it, it's not just these 10 guys, it, it's now this, this is spread. Like we can't do this. This is too much. And they cried all night long. Their voices rose in a great chorus of the protest against Moses and Aaron, who's led them to this point. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. I mean, talk about drama queens, right? Like, if we just died there, it would have been better, right? Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones would be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Do you remember we talked last week about this idea that one of the problems that many of us face is we're still fighting ancient battles. 
we're, we're still like we, we've overcome this, but we're still holding on to this. I mean, this is they're, they're going back. They're like, oh, we, we remember what it was like to be enslaved. We don't want our wives and our children to have to go through this. And, and wouldn't it be better for us just to return to the way things were? And the question you want to ask when people have this approach, because a lot of us do this, is don't you remember how bad things were? Like, don't you remember? Don't you remember how bad it actually was? And so you want to go back to Egypt? You want to go back to the place that started this whole story? This epic story that takes place in Exodus where God hears the cries of his people because of the suffering they're going through? And you want to go back there. And what's interesting, I think, is that when we think about this and we think about life, like when we face problems, when we face obstacles, and we all will, I mean, it's the, it's the promise. It's if you haven't, just wait, you will. It's like the blunders go on and our world just shrinks down to the size of what it is we're going through. And we can't see anything else. We can't understand anything else. I mean, it just shrinks down to this thing. And what's crazy about our story, but even about their story, is time and time again, God has been faithful and God has upheld his promise. Time and time again, God has brought them through. Time and time again, they have faced giants. They have faced obstacles. They had the full army of Egypt chasing after them, and God brought them through. And yet here they are again. Because even though God brought them through that and God brought us through that, the problem is now there's a new giant. Now there's a new obstacle. Now there's a new mountain. And all of a sudden we, we forget about what's already happened and all we see is, ready, what could happen. And if you noticed in us, we never see like, oh, this is going to be awesome, right? It's always the negative. In verse 4. Then they plotted amongst themselves. Let's go choose a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. I, I mean, let's go back to the suffering. Because at least we knew what to expect then. And this new thing that God has brought us to, I, I don't know if this, it, it, it may be hard, but I mean, can you imagine the mindset, hey, it would be better for us just to go back to slavery. It would be better for us to go back to that. And so Joshua and Caleb, they're just sitting there and, and, and you ever had this moment where you're just like, what are you talking about? Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jeb, I can't say that guy's name, were among those who had explored the land. I went to seminary. I've got a master's degree in theology. Some of these names, you're just like, what were they thinking? All right. Among those who had explored the land tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And it's like these two guys, like this voice, and they say, we can't forget. We can't forget what we've come through. We can't forget that this has been promised us. We cannot forget that God has promised not to leave us, not to forsake us, and not to abandon us. 
And so like there's this complaining, there, there's this, this lack of faith, there's this fear that just runs through the people. And then there's this interesting thing that happens, and we don't see this a lot until we get into the prophets later, but, but there's anything, all of a sudden God is like, what? Like, like God's like, I brought you out of Egypt. I mean, look at all the stuff that we've done. Look at all of the things I've done to get you to this point. And God gets involved. In verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? You see, what's interesting about when we go through stuff is we always want to approach it from our perspective. Like, where is God? Why hasn't God? Why hasn't God? And sometimes I think God wants to speak into our lives and say, what? Like, do you remember last time? Do you remember the time before? Do you remember all of the things that I've done to bring you to this point? And now all of a sudden you face something else and you've forgotten all of that. And again, you question me. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never, here's what he says, ready? And this goes back to the question. It should be up on the screen maybe. Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Will they never believe me? Ready? Will you never believe him? Will you never trust him fully? Camped on the edge of the promised land, Moses sends out 12 scouts to scope out the land, and 10 of the scouts come back with a negative report. But Joshua and Caleb, they keep their eyes on God, not the land, and not the obstacle they're going to face. They keep their eyes squarely on God. They have remembered all that God has brought them through. And rather be distracted by what looked impossible, all they could see what was possible. They could see it. They could feel it. They could taste it. They knew that the same miracle God had performed to bring them out of Egypt is no different than what he's going to do to take them into this promised land. The task was no harder and the miracles required were no bigger. Because God was the same God. Now let me ask you something. An important history lesson real quick. Shammai, Shaphtheth, Egal, Palti, Gadial, Gadi, Emil, Sether, Nabi, and Quill. Have you ever heard of any of those guys before? Because those were the 10 guys that said we couldn't do it. Well, one of the things that I've learned is this. History is not often kind to those who cower in the face of adversity. We don't know those people. You know why? Because they didn't do anything. They could have. And so you've never heard any of those names from four or 5,000 years ago. You don't even register those names. Now let me ask you another question. Do you know any Caleb's or any Joshua's? People that we still name our children after because they faced adversity. They faced the challenge and rather than cower, rather than crawl back in fear, they went head on into it. You never know what hangs in the balance of your choice and it is a choice to have faith. 
It is a choice not only to have faith, but to act upon that faith, even when it seems easier not to. See, the reality is sometimes we enter lands where there are giants, and there are obstacles, and there's terrain that seems impossible. It feels like there's things that will devour us. So Joshua and Caleb, they're like, okay, yeah, that's all possible. But what is God capable of? What what could he actually do here? Now, I'll tell you all of that because they don't get to enter the promised land. In fact, the negativity spreads amongst the people. Sometimes we want the Bible stories to end with like a tiny happy bow where everything works out and everybody gets a puppy and it's all happy, you know. But, but sometimes humans, us, and our fear and our doubts, sometimes they're just too much. And so the people, for 45 more years, they don't go. They allowed their fear, not what God could do. They allowed their fear to overtake them. But it sets up a beautiful part of the story. A part that you're probably not familiar with. Later on in the story, 45 years later, there's this exchange between those same two guys, Caleb and Joshua, the two who actually believed that they could do this. Now, at this point in the story, Moses has died, and Joshua is now the leader of the nation. And Caleb is one of his right-hand men. But it's been 45 years. I mean, that's a long time. That's longer than I've lived. I mean, some of us, we want the promises of God to be tomorrow, right? You ever done that? Like, God, I believe in you if it happens in 48 hours. 45 years. They have to wait. And in Joshua chapter 14, this is what Caleb says to Joshua as, again, they're sitting on the edge of a mountain. And they're looking into the land 45 years later. And now behold, Caleb says, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said those 45 years ago, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. Now I want to stop there real quick because here's what I want to say. 85. 85 years old. See, some of us, we assume that at that point in the story, it's over, right? We're just waiting. We're just holding on. There's nothing left that could happen. This This is a young person's game. We said this last week. There's a certain type of despair that sets in when you believe your best days are behind you. See, every day and every breath... Is a gift. And as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is life to be lived. And as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's things that God can do regardless of your age. And here's what Caleb, at 85 years old, says to Joshua. And yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now my strength and now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. And here's the line. Ready? Verse 12. Now therefore, 
Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke that day. 85 years old. No matter the odds, no matter the obstacles, no matter the giants, no matter the terrain, Caleb held on to the promise and the truth of who God was and what God could do. And even at 85 years old, he believed his best days were still ahead of him. He had faith that he could take that mountain. Now, flash forward thousands of years, a couple thousand. And Jesus takes his disciples to the base of a mountain. And he looks with his disciples at this mountain. Now, we talked about this last week. Have you ever stood at the base of a mountain? I did this week. We stood at the base of a mountain this week in Guatemala. Mountains are big. There's your lesson for today. Mountains are big, right? And when you stand at the base of a mountain and you look up, I mean, you just feel so small. And you, you, all you can think of, oh my gosh. And then for some of us, like the thought of like, like going up that. We, we had a girl that used to come to church here a long time ago. They live out west now. She used to run up mountains right? She took me on the Millennium Trail one day to run at, at Burnham Forest, about 13 miles. And uh, we got to like the second set of hills and she just starts running up it. And I'm like, you're dumb. Like there, there's, there is no way I can run up this thing. But, but like, if you ever like, if you ever met like mountain climbers, have you ever seen like those guys that free solo? Have you ever, I mean, it's insane, but, but they, they have no fear. Like they see the mountain and they, they see it and they're like, no, we, we can do this. We, we can take this. We can climb this. We can run this. And so Jesus, he takes his disciples at the base of a mountain. And you got to imagine they feel small just like we would feel small. And you got to imagine, see, see, we're talking about mountains physically, but, but let's talk, you know, sometimes we face mountains in our life that it's not a physical mountain, but it sure feels like it, doesn't it? It sure feels like those men thousands of years ago that they're facing something that they don't think that they can take. And in Matthew chapter 17, here's what Jesus says, at the base of a mountain. I tell you the truth, if you even had faith as small as a mustard seed. Now, mustard seeds are small. It's not the smallest seed, but, but in, in their world, it's a pretty small seed. And, and so it's like this tiny little bit of you know, thing. If you had even faith that big, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Now, here's the question. How many mountains have you moved in your life? How many mountains have you faced in your life? And how many mountains or mountain are you facing right now? And what are they? Are they fractured relationships? You ever have those relationships, like the really important ones, and you're standing there and you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know how we overcome this. I don't know how we move past this. Is the mountain in your life, is it a prognosis? Is it a disease? Is it cancer? Is it something that, that you set in a room and they, they tell you the word? Is it a hole in your heart because of someone you've lost? Is it fear of the future? Is it your doubts? Is it your overwhelming sense 
of anxiety? Is it something, or is there something in your life that's causing you to fear? Is there something in your life that when you think about it, you don't even like to think about it because you just see it, and you just go, this, this just seems too much. Sometimes we're prone to think that if we had unbelievable faith, like we had this big faith that God would do this amazing stuff through us. But what's interesting is Jesus tells us something quite astonishing. The issue isn't whether we're full of faith or whether we even have faith. What Jesus says is this. If you even have like the smallest amount of faith, and what's interesting is this, Jesus stops his disciples. We saw this. Remember, it was the beginning of the, today. He said, do, do you believe in who I am? Who, who do you say that I am? Tim Keller once said this, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. What Jesus tells us is this. It's not the big, like, expressive faith that I'm looking for. No, if you even have a small amount of faith, because what we have to learn and what Caleb and Joshua learned is, is it, wasn't, it wasn't this thing of what we can do. It's what he can do. And so here's what they learned. It's the object of your faith, not the size, the object. Sometimes when life is hard and the storms or struggles come up, it, it's not about the size of faith. Listen, Nobody faces some of the stuff we face and they're like, bring it on. Like, let's do it. Right? Those are the scary people. Right? No, what Jesus says is, listen, he says, if you face this, I get it. It's hard. It's going to be bad. Sometimes it seems impossible. But if you could just keep that little bit of faith, if you can still believe, as Paul tells us, that God is actually for us. If we can continue to hold on to even just a little bit, Jesus says you can look at that mountain and you can tell it to move. And it will. Do you know one of the things I find fascinating about Jesus is when he talks to people, especially people facing these types of things we're talking about. I mean, he's talking to people facing incredible hardships. And do you know what Jesus doesn't do? Jesus never looks at someone and says, when was the last time you prayed? He never looks at them and says, when was the last time you went to church or temple? He, he never looks at anybody and says, and by the way, how much do you tithe, right? How much money do you give? And he never looks at anybody and says, how good are you? You know, he never does that. The question that Jesus asks almost time and time again is some version of this. Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe in me? Do you have even that much faith that you believe that I can actually do this? So if the last few years have taught us anything, here's what it's taught us. There are giants in the land. And there's a lot of obstacles we still have to overcome. Not just as the people, but as individuals. 
And so what giants do you face? What mountains do you need to move? What giants are in your way? And what mountain is it that you need God to show up for because you're not sure you can do it by yourself? Now, one of my favorite things about Jesus is this. Jesus doesn't just tell us stuff. He shows us stuff. He doesn't just tell us to move mountains. He shows us what it looks like to actually move one. And so high up on the hill of Mount Moriah, Jesus will face a mountain of his own. At a place called Golgotha, Jesus demonstrates once and for all how far God will actually go and how big of a mountain that he can actually move. But if you want to know more about that, you're just going to have to come back next week. Let's pray.